From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this uh, Monday edition, the long-awaited Inspector General's report was released today. In response to the report, President Trump said this. Well, they fabricated evidence and they lied to the courts and they did all sorts of things to have it go their way. This was something that we can never allow to happen again. Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson is here in just a moment with more on the Inspector General's report. And in the wake of the deadly shooting at the Pensacola Naval Air Station by a Saudi uh, Air Force officer, there are calls to reevaluate the Saudi-U.S. military relationship. The question is, was this a terrorist attack? I'll talk with Claire Lopez, Vice President and Research, uh, Vice President for Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy. Also last week, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell drew a sharp contrast between the nation's two major political parties on religious freedom in remarks that he made on the Senate floor. I'll let you hear those, and we'll talk about it a little later here on Washington Watch. And a uh, coercive and deceptively named bill entitled Fairness for All Act was introduced last Friday in the House of Representatives, intended as a compromise between religious liberty and those advocating for unrestrained sexual liberty. This bill would impose a sweeping anti-Christian anti-science ideological mandate on our entire country. I'll talk about it uh, in studio with Travis Weber, FRC's Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss anything on your way home tonight, it will all be archived later there at TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's uh, at T. Perkins. Hey, before we go to our first guest, let me remind you, as we approach the end of the year, the battle for America's future is far from over. And I want to know, I want to ask you to partner with FRC so that we can continue to make a difference as we go into 2020, a big, important year. And when you give to FRC, to Washington Watch, before December 31st, your gift will be doubled thanks to a generous year-end challenge match. So I'm going to ask you to help us continue to advance faith, family, and freedom for the sake of America, for our children and grandchildren. We've got folks uh, standing by today to uh, take your phone call if you'd like to be a part of continuing to make sure uh, that Washington Watch continues uh, on your station and that the work of FRC continues here in our nation's capital. Pick up the phone. Call 1-800-225-4008 and talk to one of our team members. Again, pick up the phone, call 800-225-4008, or you can just go to TonyPerkins.com and make the donation right there. All right. Um, A long-awaited Justice Department Inspector General's report from Michael Horowitz examining the FBI's investigation into possible coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia was released today, clearing the Bureau's top leaders of uh, conservatives' most serious allegations while providing some evidence uh, for President Trump and uh, his supporters to renew their attacks on the probe, questioning its uh, veracity. Joining me now with his analysis is 
Congressman Warren Davidson, who represents the 8th District of Ohio and serves on the Financial Services Committee. Uh, Congressman Davidson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, great to talk with you again. All right, I, I know it's, it hadn't been out long, but uh, your initial thoughts in reviewing the Inspector General's report. You know, the base thing I look at, Tony, is is uh, the golden rule. Would you know? Would I want to be treated the same way that Donald Trump was treated? And you know, look, no criminal wants to get caught, so that would be the retort from someone on the left. But this is the way. What what uh, A. G. Barr's statement makes clear is on the thinnest possible evidence naming associates whom Donald Trump never personally met or even spoke with on the phone, and foreign intelligence officers sourced information, Mr. Steele from Britain, sourcing information, uh, which is really just opposition report, uh, with this fancy-sounding name, Steele dossier, provides a basis for FISA surveillance. And that alone wasn't enough. They had to doctor the documents and then really abuse the process. And so uh, Horowitz makes that clear, and frankly, A.G. Barr makes it even more clear, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought his uh, his comments uh, were instructive. He said, quote, the, inspec- the inspector general's report now makes clear that the FBI launched an intrusive investigation of a U.S. presidential campaign on the thinnest of suspicions that, in my view, were insufficient to justify the steps taken. That's pretty significant. Yeah, very, very uh, uh, clear uh, assessment by the inspector or by uh, Attorney General Barr. And frankly, you know, if you go back when Donald Trump said that he believed the Obama administration had been spying on his campaign, Mm -hmm. people laughed at him and mocked at him and mocked him and said, you know, you just don't really understand how this works and all that. No, he understood what was going on. And frankly, uh, the question is, is that the kind of, uh, you know, work that we want our FBI to be engaged in? And when you go back to this long history of uh, the effort to to stop Donald Trump, uh, as Peter Strzok and Lisa Page referred to it, an insurance policy, uh, it looks like that really not the FBI broadly, but leaders within that organization and several others abused the power and access that they had access to, frankly, all the resources of the United States government uh, that they were trusted to have access to, and they abused those privileges and access uh, to target uh, a political rival, President now President Donald Trump, and it still didn't work. It didn't stop him from getting elected, and it still hasn't worked in trying to remove him from office. But frankly, lots of Democrats are anxious to pile on and reinforce that. And the question is, is that really the kind of framework we want to start using for our political campaigns, that now this presidential campaign, really Donald Trump's going to use those same tools to look at other campaigns? Could you imagine the reaction? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, reminiscent of years gone by in the FBI, which uh, brought about some uh, significant reforms in the agency because of the way it was used under J. Edgar Hoover. But this uh, this validates many of the, the the broad claims that the president made that the the FBI had been politicized and was working against his campaign. Well, if you go back to General Flynn, when he was the deputy director of national intelligence, that's exactly one of the things that he uh, warned about, was concerned about, that the politicization of the uh, intelligence community. And he was uh, known to be opposed to that, known to be working 
on a mandate from Donald Trump, should Donald Trump win, to reform those agencies. And so you look at, well, gee, why did they target General Flynn? Why did they target uh, the Trump campaign? Because of all the candidates, that coalition that Donald Trump was putting together, that Flynn was a key part of, they knew Flynn knew the inner workings of what had been going on in that community. And that doesn't mean to say, look, we, we've looked at all these things all along the way. Uh, Flynn didn't want it to go further into him, so he pled out uh, to, uh, frankly, what what uh, Comey himself boasted of as a deceptive interview, uh, which came in as a, hey, welcome to the White House. We're going to chat you up. And you don't know you're being interrogated, but that's that's what Comey called it. And he just boasted of it as a way, just a very sinister kind of system. And in my view, not what the American people uh, expect from the FBI. And uh, frankly, it's thankfully not what they're likely to get from the FBI, but it's unfortunately what Comey delivered. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio, my guest, talking about the uh, long-awaited Inspector General's report uh, that came out today regarding the FBI's investigation uh, of the Russia connection with the Trump administration. I, I, I want one point in the um, the report. And it's pretty lengthy, but it did push. Uh, I mean, it did provide some evidence to show that the CIA actually pushed back on the FBI when it came to using the steel dossier that you made reference to. That they didn't feel like it was. Uh, uh, you know, worthy of being considered and used, and they pushed back. So it doesn't look like the entire intelligence community was compromised. It does look like more of the fingers are pointing toward uh, the the FBI. Right. And look, this was not a criminal investigation that was launched. It was uh, it was a counterintelligence investigation. And so a lot of the safeguards that are uh, out there for criminal prosecutions, uh, frankly, aren't as strong on intelligence. And so uh, why are we doing that? And it's called the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act for a reason. We're focusing on foreigners trying to protect the United States of America from enemies of our country. And and what that system was used and abused to target an American citizen, not just an American citizen, an American candidate for president, and then the actual president of the United States. And it wasn't like they said, you know, Mr. Trump, we have some concerns, some of your associates, boom, 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 do you know this, do you know this, do you know that? There was nothing like that done despite – over and over again, finding exculpatory evidence to say Donald Trump personally had no knowledge or awareness of this. Despite two years of the Mueller report going through it, they carried it on, even though they had well into it, concluded uh, early into it. They continued that uh, probe well after they knew that Donald Trump didn't personally have uh, these connections that formed the basis for the uh, counterintelligence investigation. Uh, it, it really is hard to imagine that this would have carried on in a normal course of events for actual security concerns. It was carried on because of personal animus of key actors towards the president of the United States. So the motive here, the motive, as best as we can tell, and from the evidence presented in the, or the findings presented in this um, report, would be that it was politically motivated to stop Donald Trump from, A, becoming president or disrupting his presidency. Yeah, and trying to do everything they can to make sure that he doesn't continue in office. Uh, and so, you know, you think, you think about that. 
look, it's not sedition because there's not actual violence engaged in it. But every other component of the crime of sedition would be met by people that willfully engaged in this. Now, I think there are a lot of people who got caught up in it and felt like where they were doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons and all that. Uh, but I don't think they acted on full information. And frankly, that's kind of the point that um, – that Attorney General Barr makes uh, in his remarks about uh, Horowitz's report. Horowitz was confined to information he had access to as the Inspector General of the FBI. So he didn't have access to the FBI information. He didn't have access to other information that our government has. And frankly, that's really the point of our classification system. Uh, it compartmentalizes the information. So when you look at it holistically, someone had holistic access to this, put this operation together, and uh, and, and frankly, or you know, numerous actors were working of their own volition in the same course, but it all had the same effect uh, of, uh, in my mind, you know, political motivated effort to try to stop Donald Trump from being president or governing effectively or become, being able to continue uh, in another term as president. Um, uh, Congressman, we're up against a break, but very quickly, where does this go now? I mean, you said there's several elements of what would meet sedition, no violence here, but will actions be taken to hold those accountable who well, clearly I sure hope went Attorney beyond? General Barr does that. I really hope Attorney General Barr does it. All right. Well, I hope he does as well. We'll be watching that very, very closely. Uh, Congressman Warren Davidson, thanks so much for uh, joining us and providing uh, insight as this, uh, in this breaking story. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio. All right. Uh, don't go anywhere. Coming up next, a uh, Saudi military student engaged in de- a deadly shooting at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola last week. Was it terrorism? Is it time to reevaluate the relationship between uh, Saudi officials and the United States military? We'll talk about that next here on Washington Washington. Abortion is one of the most combative and sensitive moral and political questions in America today, even among Christians. There has been a renewed effort in theological liberal Christian circles to argue that the Bible does not oppose abortion. In light of these arguments, it is crucial for Christians to know what the Bible actually says about abortion. Does the Bible teach that life begins at conception or birth? Is abortion murder? In FRC's new publication titled, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, Personhood, Scripture, and Church History, author David Clausen addresses these questions with relevant passages in the Bible that inform how a Christian should think about abortion, the question of personhood, and a survey of how prominent church leaders have interpreted these passages throughout history. Learn more by visiting frc.org slash unborn. That's frc.org slash unborn. Meadow Pollock was a high school senior who was tragically gunned down during the Parkland school shooting in Florida. In an emotional and gripping FRC Speaker Series event, her father, Andrew Pollock, and education expert Max Eden discussed the tragic massacre and the politically correct policies that allowed the Parkland shooting to happen. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Obama administration promoted a false narrative that teachers and principals were racist and couldn't be trusted to enforce rules with consequences. Instead, they argued for healing circles and restorative justice. These policies enabled a psychopathic criminal to maintain a clean background and purchase a firearm used to murder 17 people at the high school. 
The Obama administration forced these leniency policies into hundreds of schools, serving millions of students across America. To listen to this event and to learn more, visit frc.org slash speakers. That's frc.org slash speakers. Religious liberty is one of the most important. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Merry Christmas as we move into the Christmas season. Saudi Second Lieutenant Mohammed Saeed Al Shamarani, um, 21, killed three people and injured eight when he opened fire at a naval air station in Pensacola on Friday. He was then shot dead by uh, sheriff's deputies. All eight survivors are expected, all eight of those that were wounded are expected to survive. Another Saudi student allegedly videotaped the attack while two others watched from a nearby car. Now, military bases across the United States have been put on high alert in the wake of Friday's uh, shooting. Investigators looking into the deadly attack uh, at the naval uh, base in Florida said Sunday they were working under the presumption it was an act of terrorism involving a lone gunman and that no arrests have been made in connection with the incident. Joining me now with uh, her analysis is Claire Lopez. She's the Vice President for Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy. Claire, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much, Tony. I'm glad to be with you. Is there uh, any question in your mind as to whether or not this was a terrorist attack? Well, the only thing that I would um, change slightly is the wording. Uh, Instead of calling this a terror attack, it was a jihad attack. It was an attack of jihad terrorism, if you will. Um, Absolutely. There's no question about that. We know now um, from uh, tweets and and other things, uh, of course, now erased, um, that al-Shamrani had publicized. He had had broadcast his beliefs and his intentions um, prior to the attack, which took place last Friday on the 6th of December. And this brings back to mind, uh, he was there um, at the Naval Air Station. This brings back to mind uh, two of uh, the uh, Saudi uh, young men who were in the United States at 9-11 learning to fly planes. Uh, And the majority of the attackers on 9-11 were Saudi nationals. So, I mean, this dredges back up. A lot of those same issues about this relationship with Saudi Arabia, in particular, between our our militaries. Well, I I would add a couple of things um, to, to that, Tony. And the first, of course, is that there were multiple failures at multiple levels that permitted this individual, uh, this 21-year-old Second Lieutenant Mohammed Saeed Al Shamrani, um, first of all, to be in the Saudi Air Force. Number two, to be selected for this very prestigious uh, flight program at Pensacola, Florida. And number three, to receive a visa at a U.S. consulate somewhere in Saudi Arabia before he came over. And then finally, during the two years that he's been here in the United States, he's been here since 2017, supposedly under the uh, supervision and tutelage of of American military uh, trainers and and, uh, instructors. And nobody noticed anything? Well, no, I'm sure they didn't. And here's why. Because something that many of us call the great purge, that is the removal of all 
language, training, instruction about accurate, uh, accurate instruction about Islam and jihad and Sharia have been removed from the U.S. government, government-wide. Diplomatic officers, intelligence officers, military officers are denied this training. They don't know what to ask, what to look for, and what they're seeing, even when it's in front of their eyes. So multiple failures at many levels. But there's another, um, it, I, I, I mean, this is, this is my own uh, insight into this, and I think um, that similarly to the uh, Khashoggi killing of last October 2018, that's a, a year ago, October 2018, uh, at the consulate of Saudi Arabia in Istanbul, Turkey, I think there are forces inside the kingdom that do not want to see the young crown prince, MBS he's called, Mohammed bin Salman, son of the king, Salman, to succeed. They're jealous and angry that he jumped over them into the succession for the, for the, for the, for the, uh, the, the leadership of, of Saudi Arabia. And also the very powerful Wahhabi a clerical institution is being systematically dismantled by MBS inside the kingdom. Hundreds of Wahhabi clerics have gone to jail. These forces do not want him to succeed, and they don't want the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States to continue. So you think this is intentional to sabotage and undercut that relationship by these types of events? I think that's worth looking at. Mm -hmm. How extensive is the the, the Saudi uh, relationship with the United States military? How many Saudi officers or military personnel do we have in the country? Well, I don't know uh, across the entire country. Um, at Pensacola, I think at least there were several dozen. Um, there, there probably were more at other military training bases around the country for different kinds of programs. This was a naval flight training program. Um, and that's in addition to many, many thousands of Saudi students in other subjects, mm -hmm. uh, academic subjects at universities. I mean, but it's this... not just Saudis, of course. I mean, we, we welcome foreign students, hundreds of thousands of them, including from places like China. But this certainly strains that relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. I mean, can, can you imagine if American uh, military personnel did this in another country? Um, I mean, the, the, the outcry. I mean, this is a part of this is the vetting that takes place on both sides, as you pointed out earlier. Well, yes. And mightn't that be precisely the point of the attack as well as of the Khashoggi killing? Right. To strain that relationship, to, to put a stake through it, to destroy it to destroy it and to destroy NBS himself, whom they would like to be rid of um, permanently. But certainly we need to do a better job of vetting those that we allow into these programs. And as you pointed out, those that do that have been handicapped because of policies from yes. the previous administration. Claire, exactly. thanks so much. Although I have to say, going back farther than that to yes. decades Yes, you, you are correct. It is not just a Democrat problem, Democratic administration, the Republican administrations having the same issues. Claire Lopez, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate your insights. And All right, folks. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's problematic. Uh, but this is a country, Saudi Arabia has some real issues on many fronts. And, and I think if I agree with her, there's promise 
in the future uh, with the new leadership, but we need to be very, very careful in how we go forward. Hey, don't go away. When we come back, uh, Mitch McConnell talking about the, the distinction between the two parties on religious freedom. That's next. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you along on this Monday, December the 9th. All right. Uh, if you would like to partner with us, we've got folks that are ready and eager to talk with you, standing by to take your phone call. We've got a generous donor that has made a challenge gift available, a match, where um, if you will join with us, we can double what you give uh, between now and uh, the next couple of weeks. So we got folks standing by to take your phone call, 800-225-4008. If you, uh, if, you, if you like Washington Watch, you appreciate it. This program comes to you because of folks like you that support us, our partners with us all across the country. Uh, we get no government funding. It's all individuals, Christians concerned citizens who want to make sure that faith, family, and freedom is defended in the face of the increasingly uh, vicious attacks by the left. Who, who want to silence you? I don't know if you've figured that out yet or not, but the, the left, they can't win on the merits of their debate, so they want to silence. They want to, they want to take your voice away from you. And the same for us, because we are your voice in many ways here in Washington, D.C., and they want to silence us, and it's only because of your support that we continue. So um, if you'd like to support us, give us a call, 800-225-4008, or go to TonyPerkins.com. Now, speaking of this, uh, the big issue is religious liberty. And that's where, th- I mean, that is ground zero. We've been t- We talk about that a lot. Well, last week... Uh, Mitch McConnell went to the uh, the Senate floor, and uh, it was kind of unexpected. Uh, but he 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 uh, it, it took a a moment, what we would call a teachable moment, as he was talking about um, what was happening with judges. Uh, and it was a speech much like Attorney General William Barr's speech. But uh, the majority leader decided it was time to basically underscore why this issue of religious freedom was so important. I'm I'm, I'm going to play a couple of clips. I I want to just read a quote as he started the speech. He said, quote, I want to take a moment to help clarify why I and millions of other Americans care so much about having federal judges who believe in the radical notion that words matter and that a judge's job is to follow the law and the Constitution. Take, for example, the subject of religious freedom, the liberty of conscience, and the freedom to live out our faiths has been a foundational principle from the Republic's earliest days. Many of the first Europeans who arrived in the New World came here fleeing religious persecution. And I will tell you, in the quote there, I will tell you the, the, the majority leader has done an outstanding job in getting the president's nominees confirmed. And the court's will be a lasting legacy of not only uh, President Trump, but Mitch McConnell. Let me, let me play another. Here's another clip 
Uh, it just, I want to, we're talking about the, the founders and why they came here. He continues, and this is what he says. Three. Well, let me contrast the understanding of the founders with a couple of current events. Last month, New York State convinced a district judge to throw out the Trump administration's conscience protection rule for health care providers. This straightforward rule ensured health care workers could not be forced forced to perform or assist with medical procedures that profoundly violate their religious beliefs. But the radical Democrats in New York could not abide this basic protection for people of faith. Instead, they want to force Christians and other people of faith who work in health care to either assist in procedures like abortion or lose their jobs. So much for freedom of conscience. New York's behavior is part of a disturbing trend. Powerful interests on the left want to shrink freedom of religion until it means freedom to go to church for an hour on Sundays as long as it doesn't impact the rest of your life. That shrunken interpretation is nothing like what our founders intended. And candidly, I'm not sure how much longer the modern Democratic Party will even believe in that. See, there, there was a time when it came to religious freedom that both political parties were seeing out of the same hymn book. There was a recognition. I mean, we talk about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act back in the 90s that passed almost unanimously. Bill Clinton was the one who signed it into law. But now all of a sudden, religious liberty uh, has become controversial. And it's because there are those that really are not, not liberals. They're leftist. And they see religion transcendent truth, morality, is getting in the way of their efforts to redefine human sexuality. The same thing they're doing with science. I mean, the, the so-called left who's always worshipped and embraced science, science is denying basic biology. But, but there, there's more here uh, to what McConnell says because it really comes down to the, um, the judges and the political candidates that may pick them. I'm going to finish this on the other side of the break because i got another clip I want to play of uh, Senator McConnell. Then we're going to talk about a, a, a deceptively named piece of legislation, Fairness for All Act. It is, in fact, an attack on religious freedom. And it would essentially eliminate what I made reference to earlier, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs, are going to join me for that conversation. Uh, during the break, feel free to give us a call, 800-225-4008. Those standing by to uh, take your pledge to be a partner with Washington Watch. All right, don't go away. Coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. News. We can get it from any sources, but what can you trust these days? Where can you get news that doesn't make you as suspicious as you are informed? If you're looking for something better, for honest coverage of the latest news, one trusted news source I look to is the Washington Times. When preparing for the radio program and selecting guests to join me on the show, I will often read the Washington Times and have their reporters join me here on the program because I trust how they cover the news. 
Join me and more than 7 million readers who turn to the Washington Times every month to get real, trusted news. For a limited time only, listeners of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins will receive a special annual rate of $69.95 for the first year. Subscribe to the Washington Times and get this special offer by using my name and visiting WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins. That's WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins. Radical abortion laws in New York, Illinois, and Vermont are challenging the sanctity of life. These laws have lifted the few existing restrictions on abortion in the name of family planning and mental health of pregnant mothers. Americans need to take a stand and defend the rights of the unborn. Family Research Council is sending Congress 90,000 baby hats as a reminder that babies should be welcomed with love and warmth, not potential danger. Supporters have already funded over 45,000 hats. We are over halfway there. Join Americans across the nation and donate $9 to send a powerful reminder that young lives need to be cherished. When you take action, we'll send you an end birthday abortion certificate that will remind you to pray for born alive babies who are facing the danger of being killed outside the womb. Visit endbirthdayabortion.com for more information. That's endbirthdayabortion.com. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, President of the Family Research Council. Life, life, Christmas, everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten, listening once again, with candy canes and silver lanes aglow. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I almost feel like it's disrespectful to uh, speak while the music is playing there. One of my favorite Christmas songs. All right, listening to Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, we were uh, discussing uh, remarks made last week by Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, regarding religion, uh, religious freedom, I should say. And, you know, they're... Increasingly, there's there's areas of such clear contrast between the two parties, and it used to be that it wasn't so much in the the social issues, the moral issues. There used to be some distinction, but not the way there there is today. For instance, on the life issue, the, the two parties could not be farther apart. And then on this issue of religious freedom, now you see a lot of lip service. And you'll even see verses quoted by some Democratic presidential candidates. Um, but when you look at their policies, it certainly doesn't influence their policies. But here's, uh, uh, again, a, a clip of Senator McConnell in his speech on the floor last week uh, talking about religious freedom and what's happening as it pertains to what the Democratic Party is pursuing. Play clip number four. A few months ago, a Democrat running for president told CNN that government should take away the tax-exempt status of churches and religious institutions that disagree with left-wing positions. This, Madam President, was not some French candidate. It was a guy whom Democrats and the mainstream media had likened to John F. Kennedy, openly suggesting the federal government should punish churches if liberals don't like their social views. How appalling. These disturbing signs have not been limited to the courts or to the Democratic campaign trail. Absurd anti-religious arguments have appeared right here, right here in the Senate. 
In the last several years, some of our Democratic colleagues have tried, literally, to impose religious tests on nominees for federal office. Just take the no religious test clause and the First Amendment and throw it right out the window. And what he's making reference to, there were, there's been a number of candidates who have been told, and not just judicial nominees, it's been uh, Russ Vogt, who is at uh, the office of OMB, was basically told by Bernie Sanders that because of his Christian faith that he he was unqualified to serve in government. And that's been said about a number of judicial candidates by Democratic members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So there is clearly a line of separation between the two parties when it comes to religious freedom, and and we're seeing these... The, uh, the steady drumbeat of attacks on religious freedom. And uh, all the more reason why you need to know what's going on, being involved in what's going on, and, and support those who support religious freedom. Because everything we care about, everything we want to advocate for, whether it's life, whether it's parental rights, what happens in your, in your child's classroom, um, human sexuality, marriage, you know, you, you name it. As as Christians, our position, our, our viewpoint, especially if you have a biblical worldview, it, it emanates from Scripture. It, it comes from our faith. You see, religion and religious freedom is not like this addendum to life. As, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is essential to who you are and to the positions that you take or advocate for. And so what they want to do is they want to take that away. Say, oh, you you can't you, you can't be a religious person. You can't believe that Bible and be involved in government. That's essentially what no, that is what they're saying, folks. There is a battle raging, literally for the soul of America and for the people that live in in this country. It is not time to shrink back in any form or fashion. Right, uh, an. I guess I would say Exhibit A in this attack on religious freedom, although there are so many exhibits, I guess this would probably be ZZ. We're down to that many exhibits. But uh, Friday, another example, the Fairness for All Act introduced, uh, which is kind of the Equality Act light. That was a version actually passed the House. Nancy Pelosi, one of her top priorities, that passed uh, about a month and a half ago. This is a... Uh, another version that's d- being unfortunately supported by some, I think, um, well-intentioned but deceived uh, individuals that think that there's common ground between those that are advocating for unrestrained sexual liberty and religious liberty. And, and quite frankly, the, 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 those, they're just incompatible. Well, joining me now to talk about this legislation, what it does and where it might go, is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right, so this bill, not getting a lot of attention because the left really doesn't like it, um, but I, it, it, we still need to talk about it because it's out there. There may be some that might pick it up thinking, oh, this this is nice. It just wants to make peace. Um, let's talk about the Fairness for All Act. Sure. So it, it does sound good in the title. You know, you, you say that, well, who could be against fairness for all, right? Well, the problem in reality is it doesn't provide fairness for anyone. Um, it tries to 
uh, it tries to give the LGBT lobby what they want in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity protections and special protections across a number of areas of federal law, those alone infringe on religious liberty because there are people who are implicated by these new requirements it's not very fair for. Baronel Stutzman, for instance, is not protected by the current version of the Fairness for All Act. So how exactly is it fair to her to be able to live out her faith in her business by saying to her, you know, uh, uh, Republican congressmen, fe- leaders of our country, federal legislators are are pushing a measure which is telling her, in essence, um, you don't have any right to live out your faith in your business. So it's not fair to her. It's not fair to a lot of people. And um, on the, the flip side of this, the religious liberty protections that they try to give in the bill um, really are, are very, very limited and inadequate. They really restate protections which are already in law, uh, protections for religious institutions and uh, uh, churches to hire according to their faith, for example. That's already protected. So you don't need another federal bill to do this. But we've seen this kind of thing before where uh, you put something on paper to say, look, we're giving you religious liberty protections, but it really it's unnecessary. So you're trying to trying to say... Uh, look, look at what we're doing here. You're really not doing anything. And meanwhile, giving away half the farm in terms of the SOGI protections that are in other areas of law across a number of, you know, a number of destructive areas uh, implicating how children are going to be treated in terms of their supposed gender identity and the like. So, so all to say, this is not really a fair bill. Um, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, but it's important to make a point that it's attempt to try to please everyone. You really you don't please anyone. You end up pleasing no one. You said the soji, the sexual orientation and gender identity, and and those measures that people have encountered at local levels, state levels across the country. That involves the the bathroom situation, the locker room situation. This involves the pronoun use. There's all of these things that there's, it's like oil and water. There's no common ground with these where someone who refuses to play along um, can lose their job. We've seen people lose their jobs because they use the wrong pronoun. We've seen the privacy uh, and safety of individuals that have been uh, violated because of these locker room and bathroom policies. That's what we're opening the door to. And one of the things that I, I've, I've noticed is I've traveled to these states that have the this, this SOGI provisions that they, they don't, and there's some, so I, I don't want to say universally that it's not, but in most places, the, the the most of the public places don't have these uh, open restroom, these free for all policies in the restrooms. It's only in the schools. This is about indoctrinating the children, the young people, preparing them to make this transition. And and then you lose, you will lose all standard of morality, right and wrong. Tony, in, in fairness for all, speaking of schools. Um, Children in schools are implicated in several ways. Uh, one, when it comes to federal funding, uh, Title VI federal funding, um, <clears throat> including uh, religious institutions, uh, there there is no um, no significant religious freedom protections from the imposition of the gender identity and sexual orientation ideologies through the federal funding. So now you're going to have schools uh, who are forced to be on the hook to, to in order to receive funding to be promoting these ideologies. That's going to filter down through educational system and impact children. Children also in the adoption and foster care system in the custody of the state have no protection from the state posing um, its, this ideology uh, affirming their supposed gender identity. 
there initially this this bill um, uh, looked like it was going to um, force parents, foster parents and adoptive parents to, to violate their conscience um, in terms of how they would want to treat children in ter- uh, 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 regarding the children's supposed gender identity. There's an attempt to fix that issue by by saying that parents don't have to subscribe to uh, the state's beliefs on these things in this in this the, in the foster adoption process. Uh, I'm not convinced by that. It, it, at a minimum, the bill that we're seeing right now is very vague and very hazy, and it could force parents to violate their conscience by um, implicating them in a system uh, which. It brings them into into a position where they're affirming a child's gender identity or, or sexual conduct in a way that's harmful for that child. So this gets into adoptive and foster care parent rights and how they view children in their care and the child's what's good for the child, him or herself. So the children themselves are affected. So um, for those reasons and others, there's just a lot of problems with this. I think also this is important for Christians to pause and look at something like this and really understand why Christians can't support it when it comes to how a Christian views sexuality. We've often said, um, as a Christian, our identity is in Christ. It's not in our sexual attractions or temptations, whatever direction those those lead us. Identity is not in that. We know God proclaims our identity in who Christ declares us to be. So Christians can't be in a position of putting forth policies that, that affirm the idea that our identity is in our sexuality. I mean, that's just the opposite of what we know as Christians. And we shouldn't, in the face of, uh, in, in fearing what may come in the future, we should not compromise on what we know to be true, objectively true, according to what God's Word teaches us. There are some things that are so fundamental that we... You know, there is a time and a place to to compromise, to reach consensus. But there are some things that are uh, you, you can't compromise on transcendent truth. Right. You can. You know, there's things that aren't you know all that clear that you could have differing opinions on, and you can work through and reach common ground. But when we're talking about we're created in the image of God, and Jesus himself speaks to this issue in Matthew chapter 19, that we are created. Have you not read from the beginning? They're created male and female. I mean, so there's not a question here. What we're doing is you're embracing something that runs counter to the clear teaching of Scripture. You, you are. And um, Christians are going to have differing approaches on strategy at times. But this is a question not of strategy, but of truth and transcendent truth for the Christian when it comes to what we are putting forth and advancing um, about the human being, about uh, who the human being is and what is good. Ultimately, we have to voice what God uh, commands us to to teach and to stand for for the good of society, and uh, this is not a question of, of differing strategy, different approach. We know, as you mentioned earlier, we don't always get what we want in every respect, and so we have to prudentially right. Right. apply right. our views to the political world and political system. But on this question, we have to stand for God's word. Now, the, from a practical constitutional perspective, I have a, a, a larger issue with this. And, and this is something that's become prevalent, is that religious freedom is often seen as being attached to a religious entity or organization, that somehow a church has religious freedom, a nonprofit that's religious has religious freedom. The Constitution, the, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, Amendment 
is to American citizens. It's not to institutions. Now, those institutions are made up of the people in those institutions that have First Amendment freedoms. Right. And, and so when we start to look at religious freedom as just for some or, di- or for some institutions, for some groups, for some people who, who, who would uh, fit certain categories, we, and we leave everyone else hanging out to dry, we, we start to chip away ourselves at religious freedom and, and stop and mitigate the positive impact that religious faith lived out in all spheres of society will have for society, for the common good, for the public good. So as you know, this is why another reason we're opposing this bill, because it, it sacrifices religious freedom. It sacrifices religious freedom for, for many people who it does not protect and who now no longer have the protection to live out their faith for the good of society, uh, for the flourishing of our country. And this is, you know, if we look back in our country's history, Tony, I think it's just overwhelming the evidence of religious faith contributing to the common good. We shouldn't be in a position of 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 overlooking that, much less saying we don't care about that anymore. Uh, we're almost out of time, uh, Travis, but quickly um, give our listeners a sense of what they need to do at this point. I mean, it, it, this has not got, gotten a lot of support. Democrats are not supporting. It's not liberal enough, and only eight Republicans are supporting it so far. What should people do at this point? Yeah, I think at this point, folks just need to be informed. We're going to come out with a publication on this, overviewing the issue very shortly, and um, if they can be informed, follow what we're, we're, we're um, researching on this and, and providing in terms of materials. That's the important thing at this point, because we have to see what kind of traction this gets in the never-ending fight for religious freedom. All right, Travis Weber, as always, great to have you on the program. And uh, thank you for keeping us uh, up to date on Thanks, what's Tony. happening on Capitol Hill. Thank you. All right, folks, out of time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 